Well, I'd like to welcome you now to the book of Romans. This will be class number three. We'll be in Romans chapter one. We covered some preliminary things about the gospel in our first class. And so we're going to start down now about verse number nine. And well, we'll start in verse number eight and we'll pick it up from there. Well, let's back up to verse seven and because in verse number seven, uh, Paul really is given the basic introduction there and gets into the meat of the scripture here. So he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we should always not just read these as introductions, but we should really pay attention to what's being said. These are not just uh, pleasantries. Hey, how you doing? Hope you're having a good day. These are real doctrinal statements about the blessings of being a christian grace to you and peace from god our father are you saved do you realize that that is where your peace is going to come from having people like you it's good i'd rather be liked than disliked uh, but to think that our peace and our joy comes from being accepted in the world uh, nothing could be further from the truth ephesians chapter one says we're accepted in the beloved the people for whom Christ died, and the people who did accept him, the people who did believe upon him, the people who were born again through him and received the eternal salvation from him, we are accepted in that same body. And we have peace from that. We have joy from that. There's so many blessings and advantages that come only through God and come only through Christ. And you can say, well, I can be happy if I do this or if I do that. And what you don't realize is that peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace is not a fruit of the, of the flesh or mind of man. It cannot be derived from the flesh or the mind of man. You can have some semblance of accomplishment when you give of yourself to, uh, for the benefit of another. And I think, especially if a man's unsaved, there'll be a there will be some measure of selfishness in that, and that certainly is true. But real peace and real joy and real love comes from God, and that's what He says here to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved, uh, you are the beloved of God. Now, God so loved the world, he he surely did. But the extent of that love from God to you is that Jesus died on the cross. Do you do you not believe in that? Then God is angry with the wicked every day. But Christ is a propitiation, a a payment for peace for those that believe. For those that believe, you are accepted in the beloved and you are God's beloved just as John was the beloved disciple. God looks at you with a special favor and the the nomenclature, the name of that group is the beloved of God. And that's a great place to be. That's a great body to be fit into. And so he says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, you have a calling in your life. Even if your calling is not to be a pastor or an evangelist or a teacher, uh, never fear. God has called you to be a saint with all that that entails, with all that that entails. So we'll get into that uh, at some point. But let's move on with this introduction here. Grace be to you. Uh, 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for your all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That is what a saint is. It's a person who has a relevant, identifiable faith that is noteworthy. A person will see it and they'll say, that's real faith. That person believes in God. They might see words and they might see a show and they might see somebody who really is good at promoting themselves, but real faith and a a real faith will be biblical. It'll be profound. It'll be peculiar. There's many people out in the world that are lost that know how to promote themselves. And at the end of the day, they, they reap some small earthly, worldly, fleshly benefit from that. There are also people who name the name of Christ who promote persons, self, character. And in this world, they have some benefit from that. But what we're talking about here is people who are called to be saints. People who will have a noteworthy faith. It'll show up in their devotion. It'll show up with their care and concern of others. It'll show up in their belief of God's word. It'll show up in their service. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says we're not saved by works, but we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Uh, You may have some of these attributes, some other ones you may not, and I may not be uh, have grown into or, or perfected or be established in those things yet but those things are the characteristics of a saint and uh, some of us are called to be pastors and teachers and so forth and so on but all of us are called to be saints and so he says for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers God is a witness and from time to time we'll say we're praying for you i'm praying for you brother or i'm praying for you sister or whatever the, but god is witness and paul's saying in all sincerity god knows that i'm uh, earnestly praying for you and giving thanks for you here's my request paul says making request if by any means now at length i might have a prosperous journey by the will of god to come unto you i want to come help you is what he's saying verse 11 for i long to see you that i may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established the the end point the the ultimate outcome of my ministry to you is not that you've been blessed by me He said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established. He said, I want you to be just as established as me. I want God to do for you exactly what he's done for me. I want God to use you exactly as he's used me. Paul is very confident in his ministry. He's very confident about his place in Christianity. He says, but I want you to get that same benefit that God has worked in my life. And if God has established me, I want to see you get established. That's Paul's uh, request. I don't believe that Paul had the attitude, boy, if I could just if, if I could just get those people to listen to me, boy, I've got, you know, certainly Paul had something to tell them. But uh, his own self, his own character, he didn't feel was the important thing it's the things that these people need to know so that in my absence if these people can get these things that god has caused me to understand then in my absence they'll be able to make it and i'm absolutely positive that there's many men who don't think that the people they deal with could survive 
if they weren't around. If it wasn't for me, all these people would be backslid. If it wasn't for me, this couldn't get done. If it wasn't for me, that couldn't get done. I read a book once of a, of a very popular preacher and his son talking when the man was near his deathbed. And he's, uh, one of the things that he asked his son was, who's going to do the thinking for us now? Well, I guess, the, I guess God will just hang a closed sign up because this particular individual is going to die. No, sir. Uh, if, uh, if you can get establishment in the heart of Christianity, Christianity will be available for the next generation. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Not that I long for you to see me, now, I like preaching. I, I like the opportunity to preach. I like to teach. I love teaching. I love these things. But when I die, God will raise up somebody else. Mordecai told Esther, he said, if you don't step up, God's going to send relief. God's going to send deliverance uh, from another place. He said, but you'll be destroyed. Well, I don't want to be destroyed. And I know that if I don't preach, God can use somebody else to preach. But God has shown me some things. God has allowed me to learn some things. God has gave me some experiences uh, that will be beneficial as long as they're kept in the realm of Scripture and presented through the realm of Scripture. Absolutely. And I'd be glad to allow God to use me. But if I don't care that those people are established, I'm liable to say anything or do anything or preach anything. But I must stick to God's plan. I must stick to God's methods. I must stick to the power of God and the methods of God. And all that God has shown me through the prism of God's plan and God's purpose will be used for the benefit of others. And as, as Paul said to Timothy, I gave it to you. You continue to hand it down to faithful men. That's the way it should work. And that's the way it will work. It's not a question of will it work. It will work if we'll stick to this formula. But we have to uh, many times remind ourselves. God has called us and will use us. But he has called us and will use us for the benefit of the next generation that's coming. And also for the generation uh, which is our contemporary. So let's not forget that. Verse number 13, he says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let, and that word let means hindered, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor. He says, I owe somebody something. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. This idea of being a a debtor is as simple as this. I was lost. I was on my way to hell. Somebody preached to me. And now as a result of that, I heard the word of God. I believed the word of God. I called on God. Now I'm saved. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now I owe that to somebody else. Just as someone else fulfilled that debt in me. They were saved. They believed. They were saved. They come and preach to me. Now, I, I, I'm not a special case in which I can now close my mouth and I don't have to carry on the chain. I don't have to pass it on down the line. I don't have to uh, propagate the gospel. I don't have to continue the, the gospel line that came down to me. Uh, I can just suit my own purposes and serve my own uh, desires. No, sir. Paul says, I received it from somebody else. Now I owe it to you. And so he says that I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. There's no class of people uh, that I can say, well, I'm called to this type of person or I'm called to that type of person. He said, no, I'm a debtor 
to all kinds of people, barbarians, Jews, Greeks, whatever the case may be. They might be a little dumber than me, he says to the wise and to the unwise. You know, uh, Paul says that, you know, I'm a great doctor of the law and I'll just deal with the smart people. No, sir, that's not the case at all. So many times we should be uh, all things to all men. We should learn how to be uh, uh, wise and choose our words uh, wisely when we're talking to wise men. I'm not talking about evading any subjects or any topics. I'm just talking about, uh, as Paul says, you know, uh, to the wise I became as wise. So that's what he's talking about. He says, "I, I have this debt that I owe to men to preach the gospel. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So I need to. I need to learn how to talk to people who have sense. I need to learn how to talk to people who don't have sense. I need to learn to talk to people who are who have uh, who are civilized. And I need to talk. I need to learn to talk to people who are barbaric. And w- we often think about barbaric people as you know uncivilized, and they're that way because they turn back their back on God. Everybody's turned their back on God. And God died for us. So there, there are people who certainly do look like God has forsaken them. And that's because God has long ago forsaken man's culture. But God didn't die for cultures. He died for men. The souls of those cultured or uncultured men are paid for by the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And we owe a debt to talk to them. Uh, the Bible says condescend to men of low estates uh, so we certainly do owe a debt and Paul certainly did owe that debt as well so as much as in me is I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also and that readiness to preach is that same readiness that I was talking about to talk to the wise or to the unwise the preparation of those things uh, your ability to talk to a man on the street relies upon how much effort you put in to talking to those men while you were by yourself. It comes through prayer. It comes through study. It comes uh, It comes through meditation, thoughtfulness. How would I talk to a man that's rich? How would I talk to a man that's poor? How would I talk to a man of high degree? And I'm talking about in the, in the way the world looks at things. How would I talk to the President of the United States? How would I talk to a guy that's so, you know, bumming for quarters down on the street, which he probably, in this day and time, the bums have more money than people who work. But at any rate, you still have to uh, be considerate. And you'll find many instances in the Bible of godly men dealing with men of all degrees. Look at those things. Study them. Pray about them. Ask God for insight. And then whoever you're talking to, you should say, God, give me the insight to talk to these men as I should and say the things that I should. It's not going to be that drastically different. It's not going to be that uh, what you say to a poor man is not going to be drastically different from what you'll say to a rich man. But I guarantee you, your state of mind, your perception of that person will be different if between a bum and a rich man, between a man with no job and should you run into the president of the United States, your psychological state will be different your pulse rate will be different the things that are going in and out of your mind that might hinder or help you to to say this or that will be different and you have to think about those things and pray about those things while you're by yourself while you're in your time of study while you're in your time of prayer so that you can rightfully uh, say i am ready 
to preach the gospel. And that's what Paul says here. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now this passage of scripture about being ashamed of the gospel is also the same as Paul uses in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10 he says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This is not saying that a man who believes on Jesus will never be ashamed of Jesus. That certainly isn't true for Simon Peter. Uh, The flesh will have times of strength, great strength, and the flesh will have times of great weakness. And I say the flesh will have time of great strength. I should say you will have uh, times of great spiritual strength and you'll also have times of great uh, fleshly weakness. But I think you can comprehend that in, uh, in just by saying your flesh is weak and sometimes you're strong. And you'll have times when you uh, close your mouth and there'll be times when you should say something and you don't. And so you, uh, the devil might tempt you to say, well, the Bible says if you believe, you wouldn't be ashamed. Therefore, you don't believe you're not really saved. Well, that's not what this passage is saying. And it's not what the passage in Romans chapter 10 is saying. It's not talking about a, a, a shrinking away of the flesh, a silence of the mind in the face of opposition. That's not the shame that it's talking about. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed. He's talking about you've put your faith in him. There's never going to be a time when that power of God in the gospel is not going to have its proper work. It's always going to work. Now, when you're talking about people believing the gospel or not believing the gospel, that's a different story. Some people are not going to believe. Some people are going to believe. But the gospel is never going to fail. When the gospel is preached to a believer and a believer believes it, he's going to receive the 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 just due of that belief, whether it's being saved, whether it's trusting during the course of his salvation, uh, his saved life. He's going to rely on the gospel. He's going to trust in God's word. And he's never going to have a time. He's never going to come to the place where he says, man, I wish I wasn't saved. I I wish I wouldn't have trusted in Christ because he really let me down. No, sir. The right application of the gospel does not produce shame. He's saying it in the same sense as this. Some people have trusted a commercial on TV and brought bought a product, bought into a product or invested in a product and then lost all their money or wasted their money on the product and for that they are ashamed. That is the context of Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 1. The gospel is what God promised it is. It's going to produce what God said it would produce. It's going to have the power that God says that it has. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Not to 99% of believers, not to half of the believers, not just to rich believers or poor believers, but to everyone that believes it's the power of God unto salvation. That's something you don't have to be ashamed of. That's something you don't have to hang your head about. There's that sense, but then you don't have to you don't have to shrink from it to think, hey, this might not work. It will work. It does work. It's always worked. It's never failed. And that is the sense from which Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek.
For therein, inside the preaching of the gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The, the righteousness of God shows up. The righteousness of God is in, imputed into the heart of believers through the preaching of the gospel. When the gospel is preached and the gospel is believed, the power of God shows up in the life of those people who have faith and it produces sons of God. It produces children's, children of God. It produces the joy of God. It produces the, the strength of God, the love of God, the long-suffering of God, the gentleness of God, the meekness of God, the long-suffering of God. And In that sense, Paul says, uh, I'm not ashamed of this thing that I'm preaching. I'm not ashamed of this ministry that I have because it does what God told me it would do. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. All right, between chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 18, the context flips over on its head. And from verse 1 to verse 17, you had a pro-Christian, positive Christian, uh, positive Christ viewpoint. This is what God does for those that believe, God calls them. It's a scriptural calling. It's a promised calling. It's a promised power. It's a real power. It's an effective power. Now in verse 18, here's the power of God for those who do not believe. Here is the result on those who do not believe. Here is a description of those who do not believe. And so the context of the chapter is flipped over so that throughout the whole chapter you have you have half that's written for the believer and then you have half that is written as a description of the unbeliever then when we pour into chapter number two you'll find a message to all men everywhere the general lot of mankind and in that sense they are unsaved to the lost world is the message of romans chapter two and then to those that would be saved or those that would believe Paul begins to uh, build the story of faith and the story of salvation in Romans chapter 3. So uh, in the next class, we'll get into verse 18 through 32 and give you a description of the lost and the judgment of the lost. And that judgment even takes place before they die. And as a society or a culture moves further and further from God, you'll see the uh, how God judges them, how God... Uh, turns them over to an inconvenient way of living so that their culture even crashes in around them. We'll see that in the next class, though, as we pick up in verse number 18. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, again, take out your Bible, pour over these things, study them, look at the other references that in the other places that you were given, and uh, may God help you and deal with you in these things and make you established in these things. We'll see you next time.